Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more, con more conscious connections. I am super honored today to introduce my guest, Kia Baker. She is the creator and host of the Female Veterans Podcast, co-host of Hot Topics Live, and a success coach at the Real at the London Real Academy. Um, welcome, Kia. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so excited because uh, we met during our podcast program and we had a couple conversations, you know, not related to the program. And I just really admire you for who you are, just for who you are and uh, for what you're doing in the world and just the energy and spirit that you bring. You're very beautiful, um, beautiful and powerful woman. So welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you um, be with me today. Well, thank you for that. And I'm so deeply honored. Yeah. So I know this is, this is kind of crazy time and you have a really unusual situation that uh, you're experiencing right now. You know, people are stuck inside with their loved ones and um, or people are isolated, you know, from their loved ones. I mean, you get both extremes. And so I just wanted to find out um, how you're dealing with your circumstance and you can, you know, just tell us what's going on for you. Well, um, it's been about five weeks since I've really been anywhere. Um, I have, I am a disabled veteran, although my illness is invisible. And so what this means is that my immune system is compromised. So I'm someone who should not come in contact with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, that and also um, my littlest baby, my child, uh, he's four, and he also has a compromised immune system. So we have to be super cautious. Mm -hmm. That. That being said, I am not isolated alone. I have my two children with me and been going through the process of a divorce for the last two years. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're all together though. Yeah. You, because I think when I met, he had moved out, right? And now he's no, back? He, <laughs> kind of, not exactly. Uh, what we did was we decided that we actually negotiated. So he was going to move out. And then we decided that, or rather I decided that I wanted to try something that I had recently discovered called conscious uncoupling. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, I believe the creator is Catherine Woodward. Uh, she did a TED talk. And um, you can find it on YouTube, but it's it's basically about lovingly separating from a marriage with kindness and compassion, and being conscious of how that the end of this relationship um, affects your future relationships, mm -hmm. and also for the benefit of my children mm -hmm. to be able to slowly detach from the family unit rather than a sudden detachment. Mm -hmm. And so that they could process it better, especially my baby, which is what I really wanted. 
um, because he's really close to his dad. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the older one, it's a little different. So uh, how old um, is your older one again? He will be 14 in about okay. a week and a half. Okay. <laughs> so, so, um, so this is what we decided. And my ex-husband uh, wanted a little more time to get prepared to buy his own home. Mm-hmm. So that's how I negotiated. I said, well, you can sit, stay here and save money and get prepared. And, but this is what I want. And he agreed to give it a shot. So how has this transition been for you over the last two years? Compared, well, two things. How has it been for you and compared to how your relationship was when you were, you know, a couple, like, um, you know, wanting to stay married? Right. So actually, um, there has been a few changes, but it's, it's not really that different. It is, um, so obviously we don't sleep in the same room. We had a guest room. I, since I asked for the divorce, I moved out of the bedroom Uh and I, um, moved downstairs into our guest room. So we don't interact in that way. And, um, other than that, he works a lot. So we don't, well, he worked a lot (laughs) before. Um, and so we didn't see much of each other. Um, and it, and so it was just me and the kids and prior to me, my encore career, which I'm having now, I was a stay at home mom for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't something, it wasn't something, a long-term thing that the marriage slowly fell apart. It wasn't, um, problems and problems that I was aware of or wanted to see that made the relationship come apart. It was sudden. It was, it felt at the time, of course, I know a lot more now, but it felt at the time, like one day I was very happy and in love and we had a family and then one day happened and the next day my marriage was over. Mm. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of akin to like, this is not what happened, but it's akin to walking in on your husband cheating and you're just not the kind of woman that will want to work it out. And uh-huh. that's like your boundary. Uh-huh. And you, once you see that the marriage is over, it was kind of like that, but it, um, I won't go into a lot of details for the sake of him, Yeah. but, um, it was a horrible, he, he will just say that, um, alcohol was involved and it was like a horrible public humiliation that I, that actually gave me PTSD and, mm, wow. um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't recover from it. Mm-hmm. And the kids were involved and it was just like a bit, a really bad scene. Uh-huh. And it was just not something that I was willing to ever go through again. And I couldn't be sure that I would never have to go through it again. In fact, I am actually quite sure that I would go through it again. Mm-hmm. And so I spent five days in bed <laughs> after it happened going, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's not true. I would say it was about three days. The first day I cried all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the second day I laid in bed and in interval crying and going FML, what just happened to my life. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was like in shock. The third day I was able to talk to a friend who she had just lost a loved one. So I pulled myself together and called her mm-hmm. and we talked a bit and that's 
sort of helped me. And after I hung up with her, I um, was laying there and I realized that I needed help because I was like, I felt like I was at the bottom of a ditch looking up. So I knew that I had hit rock bottom for my life and I needed help. And, um, well, you, well, you know, it's interesting because your friend, you know, dealing with the death of a loved one, I mean, mm -hmm. the, the death of a marriage is a huge mm -hmm. grief. It's very, mm -hmm. very similar. Yes. And, um, and I, I actually turned on YouTube and I had one of those cable voice controllers and I said, motivation. <laughs> That's what I put in. And up came a bunch of motivation. And I just clicked on Tom Bilyeu from Impact Theory. And he happened to have this guy, Jordan Harbinger, from the Jordan Harbinger show, who ironically has a podcast, right? So mm -hmm. weird how that all happened. Mm -hmm. But um, I watched his episode and he had to start his business over after 10 years and all of this stuff. And it resonated in a way because I was like, wow, I have to start my life over after 13 years. Yeah. And if he can rebuild his business, I can rebuild my life. And that's literally how it, it was like, that was my wake up moment. And then I said, okay, let me watch another one of these episodes. And the next one was Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I love him. What is shifting my paradigm? Please tell me. Mm -hmm. And as I listened to him speak, I knew that my whole life was going to change. I knew that I had the power to change it because I was already familiar with the law of attraction. Uh -huh. So, um, so I, but this was like more in depth and it was more the explanation of the quantum physics side than I had learned from reading Ernest Holmes, the science of the mind. Uh -huh. And, um, and so it resonated to me in a different way uh -huh. and because I like physics. So I just knew that I had all, all the power to change my life and to come back to life from feeling so broken at the end of the sudden end of my marriage was within me. And that I just had to, I just had to rediscover love and trust for myself. Mm -hmm. And once I did those things that I could do anything. Mm -hmm. So how did, so how did you rediscover that love and trust for yourself? Because this is, I think this is, I think this is really where people struggle, you know, when they're in these um, partnerships that are not helping you feel like your best self, mm -hmm. you know, they're not really contributing to your growth either individually or your growth as a couple together. Um, mm -hmm. And you feel stuck and you sort of question your judgment or you question, you know, what the, what the hell happened or, you know, what's going on or what, what can I do? And, um, I, I, I think that a lot of people have this sort of self doubt, like, because they, because to take a leap of faith and to do something that's drastically different is really scary. Because you don't, you know, it's uncertain. Super scary. It's uncertain, just like what's happening now is really uncertain, right? So how do you manage right. the uns mm -hmm. How do you manage the uncertain, the external uncertainty, and develop this sense of internal certainty? 
Well, for this time period, I have adopted a saying um, that I saw on Instagram and someone I followed posted a picture of someone meditating and it was captioned, if you can't go outside, go inside. Mm. And so for this COVID time period, um, I went, I've gone hard on both external work and internal work on multiple levels. And it has kept me somewhat sane. I, this week, felt the cabin fever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm going somewhere. <laughs> and, um, I'm like, where are you going? I, where are you going, Kia? I'll tell you where I'm going. <laughs> I am on Sunday. And because I'm just too busy until then. But on Sunday, after I'm done working, I am going to get my kids in the car. And we're going to drive 30 minutes to this beautiful overlook in um, Washington where I live. It's on a scenic highway mm -hmm. and it's in the Columbia River Gorge and it is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. It's called Cape Horn mm. and it's just stunning and I like to just drive there sometimes and park my car and just look at it and think and meditate and all of that. I mean it's kind of hard to meditate because when cars go by it's really loud because it's on the side of a mountain but yeah. but it's so beautiful that it feels really like a special place and it's a special place for me. So I said, no one will be there. And even if they are, they'll be six feet from me because of the, just the way it's kind of set up. Right. No one parks like bumper to bumper. It's not big enough. It wouldn't right. be safe. And, um, and it's, it's an amazing view and I'm going to take my kids for a drive. And then on the way back, I'm going to take them through a drive through uh -huh. <laughs> get some food. <laughs> and that's it because, because my baby, he's really, really affected by this. He, yeah. I can see the change in him. He's becoming more shy, more, more withdrawn, reserved, more withdrawn. And uh -huh. I'm like, I've got to do something. So, and I mean, he, he was in preschool and he loved school and now he's at home every day and I'm teaching him and he doesn't see any other kids his age. And he's, you know, I, and I also work a lot. So he's um, with his brother or, you know, it's, he's kind of lonely for children his own age. We used to have lots of play dates and things like that. So, I mean, I see the impact on my teenagers, like, please let me go outside. I'll wear a mask. And finally I'm like, you know what? Go. Go. go outside with a mask on and here's the rules for when you come in. You've got to take your clothes off immediately. You've got to put them in the wash. You've got to go straight to a shower and then, and wash your hair and that's it, mm -hmm. you know, and these are our precautions, but we can't, we can't live like this anymore. So this week I made up my mind. I was like, well, <laughs> I won't go in a crowded store. I won't go places. Mm -hmm. Um, their father has a super immune system and so does my oldest son. So um, they go to the store. So it's kind of worked out. And so I'm not doing without anything, but um, they, they have been handling it and there's, we put precautions in place and mm -hmm. all you can do right now. Mm -hmm. And that and finding things to keep yourself busy and entertained and all of those things. And I feel like self-work, um, inner healing, um, all of those things give me a lot of, um, being on a healing journey has given me a lot more peace mm -hmm. during right. this time period. Yeah. we were just talking a little bit ago uh, about, you know, how 
most people live their lives so busy and distracted, you know, by all of the mm -hmm. obligations and responsibilities that you have. And this is forced looking within, you know, I mean, some, some people will still choose not to do it. You know, some people will binge watch, which is fine. You know, binge watching is, has its place. Um, but this is also a perfect opportunity to really examine what's working in your life, what you find really meaningful and valuable. Um, you know, the things that you want to hang on to when all of this stuff changes and we can, you know, integrate back into uh, the new normal. Um, but this is a really beautiful opportunity to learn how to be and to, and to recognize what's meaningful and valuable, what's important. Who am I really? I'm not all of the things that I do, but who am I? You know, how do I, how do I deal with my sense of grief and loss over, you know, I mean, eventually your ex will move out. Um, mm -hmm. Eventually, you know, you will be with the kids and what, however you work out custody and whatever, but it's like, what kind of life do you really want to create for yourself? Well, you know what? We are all sort of at a defining moment. Like you said, mm -hmm. I believe, and I know this to be true, that it is a collective trauma that we're all experiencing. And I believe we're all going to need to know how to cope with a bit of PTSD after this is done. And it is such a clear moment in all of our lives to decide what we want to create going forward, whether it's creating a new normal at this time or whether it's creating a new, new normal when this time is over, because we're not going back. I mean, put a pin in it. Those days are gone. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What do you think is going to change when we go back? It's hard which to is, say. Which is really going forward because you can yeah, never really is. go back. Right. 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 Absolutely. And I don't, I don't think we could ever go back to the way that time of history is gone. We are all, we've all made history by virtue of being alive at this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that the world will change in a lot of unexpected ways. Like, okay, so I'm a huge history fan. And um, so as soon as this happened, I started rereading stuff about the Spanish flu immediately. Mm. And because it's, it is the most recent pandemic we've had in, mo in the modern age prior mm -hmm. to this one, a mm -hmm. hundred years ago. And so I look at that and I go, okay, they did not go into lockdown, which is they're doing the same thing we did. We have no new science to help us do anything different than a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but isolate and go into lockdown. Um, the government denied it a bit longer than they did this time. So more people got sick, more people died. Mm -hmm. um, people were in their homes. They didn't have the virtual technology that we have to connect. Right, so they right. were truly isolated. And, um, it, and after it was done, uh, it took about 15 months to recover, to get to some sort of new normal. Mm -hmm. And then the 1920s happened. Mm. And we know that, I mean, that's all I have to go on. So I'm going to take the outlook that we got about nine to 10 years of a lot of fun. 
and <laughs> like, so take advantage of it, people. <laughs> like, get ready to start partying. Let's <laughs> dance. <laughs> it's going to be a 10-year party as soon as we can gather again. And I believe that. I believe that the time, if and when the time comes, that we can go to concerts and ball games and all of these things. Don't you think everyone's going to celebrate? I think we're going to not stop celebrating and having parties, big parties and big get togethers because we can. Well, I think you it's know, so like, my, it's like finding joy, you know, and whatever you have or creating these experiences. Um, but I feel like it's got, it's more conscious, you know, because, mm -hmm. because now we're recognizing all the things that we took for granted, like just going for a walk, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sitting out in the sun and just feeling, you know, the warmth and the energy and, um, you know, walking down the street and going to a restaurant and, you know, having a nice meal and going to the grocery store and having everything that we want at our disposal and all of these things that we really took for granted mm -hmm. that now it's like, Oh, maybe we'll have this new, newfound sense of appreciation for everything. Mm -hmm. Hugging your friends. Yeah. Oh, I miss, Oh, I miss that. <laughs> right. I'm a I'm hugger. Really I am too. so hug starved. I'm going to hug my kids extra but like you know just my girlfriends I had a zoom date with my girlfriend and we drank wine together and nice. it was like so fun but it was <laughs> but I wished that I could hug her right yeah. so that's, yeah. that was the only thing so I'm super grateful for this technology but I just I mean when they say social distancing and all of that I just miss the I don't miss the connection but I miss the contact mm-hmm you yeah. know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I miss the physicality because, um, unlike you, my teenagers are old. <laughs> I got 16, <laughs> 19 and 21 and they're not big huggers. They're like, uh, yeah, go away, mom, stay away. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I'm like, where I actually did tell my 19 year old, I was like, remember when you used to sit on my lap and cuddle? He's like, oh yeah, those days are long gone, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I tell that to my 14 year old. I, I totally know. I get really nostalgic lately too. I'm like, do you remember we, I used to sing you songs uh -huh. and I used to watch all your favorite cartoons with you uh -huh. in color. And he's uh -huh. like, not really. <laughs> great. Great. Why did I do all that for? You weren't going to remember it. I could have just been the worst mother ever. <laughs> you wouldn't remember. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe they won't remember the action, but they'll remember the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It was you know, worth it. Which is at great. least I'll remember the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> You'll remember that feeling. And so, mm -hmm. and so this is the thing, like having this new, this really deep appreciation for the connections that you do have, mm -hmm. you know, the ways that you um, experience love and the, and the things that, the things that you experience in your life that bring you joy. I, I heard you say that you just took up painting again. Mm -hmm. Like, tell yes. me, tell me about that. What's, what's happening with that? Because I think this is all part of creating these, this new normal, like things that, that you really want to enjoy your life. Well, so we have the, well, I don't have that much time, but because I'm still 
working, working from home. And what, what happened was, so a lot of people got displaced from their work and, and then they got their kids home. So they had to homeschool, mm-hmm. but I was already homeschooling and I was already working from home. Mm-hmm. So my life didn't change that, that, much. that much except uh-huh. for being able to come and go and see my friends and my free time activities. But, um, so what, how I ended up taking up painting was I started studying, I I started doing inner work and I started, I decided that, um, as a a child abuse survivor, I grew up in a dysfunctional home with, um, two guardians that were mentally ill Mm -hmm. and I decided to start healing my mother wound and I Mm -hmm. decided to start healing my inner child. And my inner child always wanted to paint. And Mm. I started painting much later in life, but got away from it because I was being a mom and I was sick and I was doing all these other things were happening when I was married. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when my, my oldest baby was really little, we painted a lot together and I know he misses it. So now that we have more time, like I have time with him, um, I thought it would be fun to introduce it to his little brother because we have done it on a, a few occasions, but not that much. So, um, and it's something I always wanted to do as a little girl. So for mm. the little girl in me, I I got out the paint, I ordered more stuff. I decided this was going to be the time where I really got back into painting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and it's a good time to spend with my kids, us doing something creative together, like mm-hmm. having a little bonding moment because I work so much. Mm-hmm. So when I have some downtime, I want to, you know, other than just watching movies or, you know, I want to do something with them. So other than schoolwork and things right. that they don't find that fun, <laughs> right? but they like to paint and I like to paint. So, and it's, it's really healing also. So I sort of use it as art therapy during this time period too, right? Cause we're all having this trauma. So, so how is, therapy. how is it therapeutic for you? Well, um, first of all, I am a very abstract style artist, sort of if I, um, my art icon is Jackson Pollock. So that is my style is what I do. And I layer drips for the most part. So it's uh-huh. really messy. <laughs> so I get to throw <laughs> paint around <laughs> and make a mess. And, and then, and then I get to watch it. It's something I'm um, one of my guests on hot topics. Alexandra said last night, he's an artist and he does his artwork layer by layer building. And it resonated with me because that is exactly what I do. I do a layer of mess and then it dries and then I do a layer of mess and over these layers until I feel like it's somewhat finished because, you know, it's never really finished. Uh-huh. Um, and then it's done. Um, so because it it's not, it's not like you had something in mind at first. It's just like, what's going to happen for me. It's very intuitive because it just, it's how it makes me feel with these colors and those colors and how they, those blended and how that layered. And, and it's just, it, it's how it makes me feel. Uh-huh. And then I know, okay, I don't want to touch it anymore. Mm-hmm. And how, and how does like, what is your inner child feel at the end of this process? sad actually because um it's done but during the whole a little a little sad but um during the whole process she feels joy Mm. 
so she it's it's joyful it's joyous to me and, and, and to have my kids there and doing it too and that's something that you weren't allowed to do as a little kid we couldn't afford it uh-huh. i mean I, could, I i painted ceramics when i went to private school that's as far as i got with it uh-huh. i did art class i painted in art class but um, as a little girl, I had, I was, I had, um, such severe low self-esteem that I never thought anything I did was any good. Mm. So I couldn't really ever enjoy any of that stuff because mm-hmm. I always found fault with it. Classic perfectionism, I guess. Because you're always trying to live up to somebody else's expectations. Partially that, partially that, but I feel like when you have a parent that, so we all get our core wounds really early, usually by the time we're like three, um, sometimes by up to 12. And we start developing our attachment styles, how we're going to be in our relationships with our friends and our lovers. And um, <clears throat> when you have a parent who is in, inconsistent with their affections, you develop certain core wounds. And that mm-hmm. just was part of mine. Mm-hmm. So this is another thing I've been using this time for is to study and learn about attachment styles and core wounds and mother wounds and father wounds and Mm -hmm. how to heal them. And I've been doing the healing work for myself and I've been on my private Instagram um, at creativity. I microblog about the things I'm learning as I learn it to try to help other people who might be going through this or recognize something they felt about themselves in what I'm saying, if it Mm -hmm. resonates. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully it'll help somebody. And so. so I'm I'm guessing that you would have more of an anxious attachment if you have inconsistent parenting where you you're not really sure what you're gonna get when, when you show up or when they show up. I did. Yeah. Um so you so out out of all the uh, attachment styles, you know, as you know, you can move through them. Mm-hmm. And so as I've been moving through from on my journey has I've been moving towards this secure attachment style, which I think I would like to believe that I'm finally there after Mm -hmm. this last failed marriage. And, um, but in the past, I think I started out on my dating life as an anxious attachment style for sure. Mm -hmm. And then as I grew and I healed a bit and I learned from relationships, um, not working, I became more of a fearful avoidant, sort of leaning anxious and then that became more fearful avoidant and then that became more fearful avoidant sort of leaning dismissive and then um and and I just had to learn that that's no way to be and it's no no way to treat people either expecting them to um to constantly validate you and your relationships and, and if, and getting triggered by any little thing. And then this person has to soothe you because you don't know how to self soothe. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn all those things. I had to learn how to reparent myself, tell myself the things I wish I heard and Mm -hmm. go through all those processes and, and, and build up that self love and build up that trust with myself to learn, to be able to set boundaries, to fully show up for myself in relationships so that I wouldn't be a people pleaser and I wouldn't be, you know, not unable to set boundaries and then feel resentful because I'm hyper vigilant about what I'm doing for my partner, but they're not giving that same level back to me. And now Mm -hmm. I'm quietly building resentment because Mm -hmm. I feel like we're not being equal 
you know, and I just want equal give and take, but I'm expecting so much more from them because I'm doing so much more, but that's not their attachment style. And that's not their, it doesn't correspond to their core wounds or their attachment. So then there's like a constant struggle, you know, and then you either leave the relationship or they do, you know, and then it's a fail. Mm. So hopefully we fail forward though. And we grow and we go into an, another relationship better and and with some healing and understanding. The, mm-hmm. You can show up for yourself and, and set boundaries. And when you can, you know, you, I wrote this today, but I, I said, you often hear you, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? But if you don't trust yourself to show up for yourself, you're not going to trust anybody else either. And Mm -hmm. the relationship's not going to work either. Well, that, that just goes back to that question that I asked you, you know, before about that trust and sense of safety in yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, you know, I, I don't think that, Oh, if I can't love my, if I don't love myself, I can't love other people. I, I don't necessarily think that's true because I think a lot of times it's easier to love other people than it is to love ourselves, you know, because we, because we hear those um, old messages and old tapes playing in our heads that caused us to question ourselves, you know, that caused us to question our worthiness of love. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then that's where, that's where you develop these attachment styles of the anxious and avoidant and dismissive and, you know, it's like all of these things. And and I said to you also before, before we started this, that I don't think that any marriages are failed, you know, or any partnerships Mm -hmm. are failed, that they're just learning opportunities. You know, it didn't work out in the way that you intended it to work out when you entered into the agreement, you know, maybe that's, that's true. Um, but, but it's, it's not like it was wrong or bad or um, a mistake, you know, or, or even a failure. It would just um, didn't evolve in the way that you hoped it would evolve, you know? So what, what can we learn from it? How is it um, propelling us to look at our own selves and to grow Um, and to change, you know, what we're going to do differently the next time. And this is all, and this all relates to developing this sense of safety and trust and acceptance for who you are. However you show up. I can see that. I can see that. I love that you said that um, it might be easier to love someone else because you have all this, these, um, negative words in your head Mm -hmm. and that affect your self-love and your self-worth and, and all of that. And I, and I definitely see how that can be true. And I also feel that, you know, once you get to a point when, where you can really learn how to show up for yourself, like you said, then these kinds of loving relationships, they get, easier because um relationships get better for you because as you learn and you also learn 
to love yourself and about Mm -hmm. your attachment style and all of those things become more healed, you begin to choose different partners because you begin to choose partners that see you the way you see you. And as your stock rises in your own eyes, Mm -hmm. then you choose partners who value you the way you value you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, it's like a system, right? I mean, it is every relationship is a system and um, it's, it's never, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know, it's, it's this constant evolution of, I'm valuing myself and, and therefore you're seeing the value in me. And because you see the value in me, that means I see the value in me even more and, you know, and not in a, not in a, you know, pompous or arrogant way, but it's just like, we're all valuable and we're all worthy of love and we all deserve to be um, loved and cared for and, seen and heard and understood and accepted you know this is part of this is part of what I think this external stuff is teaching us you know about our own intrinsic value it's not because of all the things that we do it's just because we just are we just are we just are we we are love You know, and the more that you're loving yourself, the more that you're loving the self, the more you can show up and just be love. Yes, I love that. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. So how do you, because I know you have a great love for, um, for veterans, you know, because this was part of your own journey. So can you share with us how, how your love evolved in that part of your life and how you are trying to um, share love again in that community? Absolutely. Um, It's surprising because when I was on active duty, I just could not wait to get off of it. And so um, being the free spirited girl that I am, I really struggled with the programming. I mean, the mental programming that's required to be enlisted, especially. And um, so when I got out, uh, it was like the happiest day of my life. Like when most people don't understand what it feels like to be property, but I do Mm. because I was property of the United States government. So when that sort of weight was lifted off me, I thought that I was going to take over the world. I thought like Madonna, like I'm going to rule the world. (laughs) And three years later, I was homeless. Well, about to be homeless. I was about two weeks away. I was jobless. Uh, and I was left penniless by my first husband of five years and I didn't know what I was going to do. And my good friend was also a veteran and, um, she, she offered to become my roommate so that we could afford a place. But first I needed a job. And then I had another friend who was actually a civilian friend who was like, Oh, this company I'm working for, I see a lot of veterans here. 
And um, I think, I think there, she said, I think there are a lot of veterans here. You should come and apply. Seems like they might like veterans at this company and they're hiring. So even though it was 45 minutes outside of the city, which was not ideal for me, I went, I got hired and my life began to change from that moment. And so um, as I began to do better, um, I started to just out of sort of nowhere, come across other veterans um, who needed help. And so my veteran friend was a little further along in me and her veteran experience. And so she started to teach me about stuff. Hey, this is how you go to the VA. This is how you do this. And so that information she gave me, I turned around and started giving to other veterans. And I would come across veterans who, you know, were in various stages and I would just sort of help them out. Mm-hmm. This is how you make a resume. This is how you do this and that. And that turned into like a 20 year thing. And the reason why I did it was because it felt good. It, it felt healing for mm-hmm. me because I came out as a disabled veteran and I had a lot of struggles. Mm-hmm. So it felt, it felt like a healing process for me to help other veterans. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept doing it and I kept doing it. And because it felt good and it felt like it was helping me heal, it was like, it was like therapy for my PTSD. Mm. And so then I tell other veterans, Hey, listen, several veterans that I met came across that were suicidal. Hey, listen, find a way to give back to the veteran community. It's, it's worked for me to feel better. Maybe it can work for you. And really it, I've seen it save lives. And so um, I just kept doing it. And I really didn't think about joining like the DAV, which I don't know why I didn't think about joining that. That would have been a great idea. Like what I didn't is, join an that? organization. It is an organization that helps um, disabled American veterans. Oh, okay. And um, there's many organizations out there that I could have just went in to be a part of, but I, part of the time I was really sick too. So I didn't really know um, about these organizations, which is part of it. I didn't know how many organizations that were out there that I could have just joined that were like not for profits, especially for women. There are more now than there ever were. So um, that that's also something that has to do with it too. There's a lot of less services there were for women. It's been slowly changing. And so um, essentially um, I decided when my current husband and I, or my current ex-husband became that, I needed to go back to work and I needed to do something. And I met with a business mentor and she became my friend. And um, we were talking one day and I said, I think I want to start speaking, speaking about maybe fibromyalgia or veterans issues or something like that. And she was like, well, um, tell me about your fibromyalgia stuff. And I talked to her about it because, you know, I learned how to manage it. And a lot of people are still suffering. And, and she said, well, that's, that's actually something really that you could talk about. She's like, but tell me about your veteran stuff. So I started telling her and she was like, oh my God, I've been talking to you all day. I've never seen you light up about anything the way you do about female veterans. She wow. said, let's go do something for them. The homeless ones especially really is upsetting for me. And... um. So we went to the Veterans Outreach Center and we talked to the outreach coordinator and we thought we might go pass out food for a day and talk to female veterans on the streets and, you know, try to just spread some love. 
And um, she said, you know what? It's really nice that you want to give them some food. She's like, but if you really want to do something for them, you should give them a voice. Wow. Yeah. And I was blown away. That's powerful. She said that they, due to the prevailing perception that veterans are men, even now to this day in 2020, they don't get donations for women like they do for the men. So oftentimes when they go to do outreach work, they just give them a blanket because they don't have shoes or boots or coats or clothing for them out in the streets when they're at their most vulnerable state. A lot of these women are, um, have PTSD. A lot of them have experienced a military sexual trauma and they're just not at a good stage in their life. And I believe that anyone who has served their country, who has volunteered to become property because we all volunteer now to become property of the United States government should not come back home to having their basic needs met. I just don't believe that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what started all of this. It started with me wanting to learn how to speak, to craft a speech. And then I I found the London Reel. Um, I actually was watching the London Reel because back when I found Impact Theory, a few episodes in, I saw a thumbnail of a sharply dressed guy on a show. And I thought, oh my God, he's dressed so nice. Let me click on there and see what London Real is. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching London Real as part of my motivation lineup, right? if you will. Right, right. And um, I saw he had a, a, a course coming up and I thought, I'm going to take that course. And it was Speak to Inspire. And then just as that course was going to end, um, I saw that he was doing a broadcasting course. And I thought, wow, it's really going to be hard for me to get a speaking career going. Maybe I should take this broadcasting course and spread the word about female veterans that way. Mm -hmm. I can maybe reach more people. Mm -hmm. And that's how it happened. And I do it because, like I said, I don't don't believe that these women um, should be marginalized. We served. We're out here. Mm-hmm. we are, we're heroes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody should be left behind. Absolutely. And when, when you were telling me the story of how, you know, when you were helping people, it brought you such peace and fulfillment, mm-hmm. you know, so it basically, and I've heard, I've heard this numerous times before is that when you're feeling depressed or you're feeling upset about something, if you turn your attention to giving to somebody else, that somehow it fills you up. I feel like that. And so have you seen the effects, you know, when you encourage other women to do the same thing, you see their lives transform as well? Definitely. And I think that um, just, so veterans, females have, um, actually all veterans are kind of have a familial bond in a way, mm-hmm. because by virtue of we've had this experience that not everybody has Mm -hmm. but veteran women especially if there is a deep sisterhood bond and so um when we get to connect in groups it's it's amazing and so even for example i attended um i actually got to do some speaking on wednesday night on a zoom um meeting for woven and it's an organization that provides like different courses for 
female veterans. And I was asked to come and speak by my dear friend and one of my first guests for the Female Veterans Podcast. Her name is Lynn Geiser, and um, she has an organization called Hope for Veterans. Mm. And and she invited me to speak to um, these women, and it was amazing. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. They'd been meeting for eight weeks. I was their final speaker. Mm-hmm. And I came in there and by the end of the call, it was like just family. And that is always how it is. Wow. I've, I've never come into a, a situation where it wasn't. So when I started the podcast, it was very well embraced by the community mm-hmm. because I tell the real stories, both good and bad, mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and you give women a voice. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a huge, huge thing. You know, it was important to me. Because you're in a situation where it is so um, male-dominated, right? Yes. And male-populated. Yes. And... I I assume, I mean, I've never been in the military. My dad was in the military, so he spent a long time in there. But, um, you know, that you're treated, I don't know, do you, did you feel like you were treated equally? Or you felt like you had to be one of the guys? Or, Absolutely. Yeah. You assimilate. You, okay, so historically, it is male-dominated, like you said, and male-populated. So it is a unique experience for every single woman who goes in because it's a boys' club. It mm-hmm. just is. Mm-hmm. So you you adapt or you become that girl. And what that girl is, as one of my, on my very last episode, my friend Allison stated, was that it's the girl who makes a fuss. It's the girl who can't take a joke. It's the girl who doesn't want you to walk up to her and, you know, you know, um, tune in 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 inappropriately touch her. Well, even just not touch her, but like right in front of her, Mm -hmm. even like anything like that. The girl who gets mad if you slap her on the butt or joking, jokingly, Mm -hmm. that was air quotes. People can, you could see them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, but really it's, you know, so for me, I was lucky. I had great guy friends. I was on a base. Well, I remember there was a rapist on the base for a little bit when I first became staff on that base. And they, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember how long it was until he was caught, but I definitely remember being scared. Mm-hmm. And I, we were all scared, the girls in the female barracks, mm-hmm. you know, um, until he was caught. But other than that, so I knew rapes happened, but I didn't know anyone who that confessed, confided in me that it had happened to them mm-hmm. on, on the base. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw all sorts of other stuff, but, um, but I knew it happened. And, um, and so you're in this environment and you sort of assimilate. So yeah, I heard lots of dirty jokes. I had a master chief and I'll tell you, I loved that master chief. Okay. So don't get me wrong. I love that master chief. He was like a grandfather, but he'd come into the workspace every day at like the same time. I think it was like 3 PM if memory serves me correctly. And he'd tell a dirty joke. Hmm. And I was, I was 19, <laughs> you know, and it was never offended. But if you take, but if you, 
if you don't think of it in that way, if you reframe that, it's really inappropriate for this grown man to come into yeah. the workspace and yeah. tell a dirty joke to, to a room full of young women, including myself and, and maybe a couple of guys, but a, in my department, we were, had more women. And, um, and tell us this, this dirty joke. Mm-hmm. It was inappropriate. But mm-hmm. though I didn't find offense with it, but there were lots of other things that I did find offensive. Mm-hmm. And I, there were times where I felt sexually harassed and there were times where I felt, you know, and, but, but that being said, it was sort of water off a duck's back on most occasions. And there were times where I knew that if I said anything, that nothing would happen because I had that experience with my roommate who was sexually harassed horrifically. And we tried to go up the chain of command and we tried to do something about it and nothing was done. Mm-hmm. So we, so I knew, you know, in fact, we were told if we kept pushing it, we'd get into trouble. Wow. So I knew what. And this what was, was this was long before the Me Too movement. Well, well before. And if you ask me, the Me Too military movement is not big enough. Mm-hmm. Because if you listen to my podcast, you'll see how many stories are about military sexual trauma mm-hmm. or stalking or wow. harassment. Wow. And how the impact of these on a 19, 18, sometimes 20-year-old girl, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes a little older, but those girls this trauma that happens to them when they're that young, it takes them a lot of times till they're in their forties, mid forties to get to recover, to get some sort of life of normalcy, to face that, to start to heal. I mean, that's, that's a robbery to me. That's 20 years stolen of a life that could have been happier all because this girl wanted to have a military career. And a lot of the times the, their careers cut short because they're kicked out. They're processed out. Wow. So they be so they become. They're not only the victim, but they then they are victimized even more. And sometimes more than once wow. during the process of it. I mean, sometimes it's all I can do to hear these stories. Mm-hmm. And I mean, thankfully, there's a lot of good ones though. So I don't want to misrepresent. Yeah. <laughs> But there are a lot, I mean, I think the statistic is one in three women experience wow. military sexual trauma in the military. Wow. So it's, it's very, it's very real. And I know that big military Department of Defense is trying to make changes and trying to do all these things, uh-huh. but it takes a long time for that to trickle down. And when you have a culture that's male dominated, a boys club, it takes a long time for those mindsets to change. Right. And it's perpetuated. Right. So, but that's, that's why it's even more important to have people like you, Kia, who speak your voice, you know, who use your voice to, to speak truth and to bring to light the things that need to change. Um, so that, so that you, you know, you stepping into your sense of, trust and love and power with who you are because you have done so much healing work on yourself um, to to recognize the things that were blocking you, right? To Mm -hmm. recognize your triggers, to recognize the things that caused you to go backwards instead of move forwards. You know, Mm -hmm. this is where 
you showing up, you do, you having done your own work so that you show up and be an example for others to, to give them permission to do the same, you know, so this beautiful life that you're creating, this beautiful life that you're creating now is an example for all of these people to, to see and say, you know what, she experienced similar things and look at her now. Wow. Thank you're, you. You're inspiring. Thank you so much. That's incredibly nice. You're really, Thank really you. inspiring. I think I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be that kind of interview. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I just want I want to be of service. That's something that you get when you serve your country. You just, you just, it, it becomes ingrained that you just want to continue to serve. And that's part of the reason why when I tell people go into your veteran community and help some veterans, because that's part of it. It's fulfilling that sort of ache that you're missing to mm-hmm. serve. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's, I mean, it's not just about veterans because I knew that when I w- you know, when we talked outside of our class is that you do have this beautiful heart. You're very giving and you're very generous and you have, um, you're very kind, you're a very kind person and you're very helpful. And so you just, that's how you show up. And that's what I, that's what I felt. That's what I feel. And that's why I wanted to have you here with me so that you could share that with all of the listeners. So thank, thank you very you. much. Thank, thank you. you for saying that. Yeah. So thank you for being who you are, being who you are. You know, it's not just what you do, but it is being that love, you know, developing that sense of safety and trust in yourself. And um, so that you can show up, you know, to create more love in the world. It's just, you're, you're just sharing who you are. So that's a real gift. Thank you. Thank you very much. I am fully emotional now. So thank you so much for saying that. It was really beautiful. I don't think I'll ever forget it. So let me ask you, um, because this sort of relates to your kids, but how do you define real love? What do you want them to learn from you about real love? That they are love. And they should spread it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. If they do that, they'll be all right. And so they just show up and just be. Mm -hmm. Be present in the present moment. Um, And realize that if, if something doesn't feel good, if whatever you're doing or whoever you're with, if it doesn't feel good, then that's your internal compass telling you to go in another direction mm-hmm. and don't dim your light to fit in <laughs> and to share love, be love, mm-hmm. spread it around. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So I want to be conscientious of your time. <laughs> So how can um, people get in touch with you, find out about your podcast, 
find out about the other work that you're doing? Well, um, you can always go to the female veterans podcast.com. Um, that's the jumping off point, I guess. Um, I would really love for everybody to check out the veteranschannel.com, which is my new platform that I'm a part of. It's for both men and women veterans now. I'm the mm -hmm. new kid with my female veterans podcast and hopefully we'll be developing. Um, actually I should say this now I've created, um, a, another show that's sort of, uh, a spinoff of the female veterans podcast. It's called women warrior stories, and mm. it's going to be interviews with female veterans for on video so you'll be able to see the veterans and it will be for the veterans channel um during during this COVID time it should be launching in the next few weeks so i'm excited about that um you can always see me on hot topics live uh, on my facebook page hot topics live <laughs> on Thursdays at 9 p.m. and the occasional Wednesday episode in the afternoon because we want to, we just have fun doing it. <laughs> so we just keep doing it. <laughs> and it's all about, you know, businesses and podcasts with cool topics like yours. So I'm sure um, everyone will see you on there soon <laughs> and um, next month to be exact. And, um, and we just talk about cool topics and try to add value and positive positivity into the, into the world. Um, and I'm on Instagram and at, at creativity for my personal healing journey and hot topics, the podcast, which is hot topics live in podcast form <laughs> for whenever you have time, if you can't catch it. Um, and that's on Instagram too. And the female veterans podcast is on Instagram. So you can find me pretty much everywhere on all the, the platforms for podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, um, Stitcher and oh I'm on Twitter at FemVet Podcast. I'm not on there a lot, but I am on Twitter too. So okay. that's it. And and well, is that all? Yeah, is that all? No. <laughs> I do. As I was saying it, it felt like a lot. I was like, maybe I should condense this, but it's it's where I'm at. No. You're gonna have to send me all of those so I can put them in the in the show notes, please. <laughs> I'll send you an email. It'll be like this long. <laughs> What's he involved in? <laughs> It's, it's getting it's getting crazy oh and if yeah. you want to be coached by me I am developing a coaching program um right now or you could just join London Real Academy and I'll coach you there <laughs> a woman who never sleeps <laughs> um yeah you're you're amazing I really honor you for everything that you've done and everything that you're doing and everything that you're creating and just how you're showing up in the world. You're a really beautiful, beautiful woman. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise. Um, what do they say? Um, it takes one to know one. Aw, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, uh, you know, listeners, I'm sure you will be inspired. We've talked about a lot of great things today. So please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with all your friends. Give us feedback, uh, you know, write us and, and um, give suggestions for future, you know, future podcasts. Um, and then if you would like to work with me uh, on overcoming heartbreak in your relationship and creating more real love in your life, 
You can find me at The Awakening with Dawn on Facebook and Instagram and my um, website. We're making some changes, so that should be coming out pretty soon. And, um, you know, this, this is what I say at the end of every podcast, Kia, that, which is obviously that you have done this, that the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. So that when you create your sense of love and trust and safety in yourself, then you can just show up, you know, in such a beautiful way to help spread your love throughout the world. So thank you for how you show up. Thank you so much for being here, Kia. Thank you for having me. It's been an amazing experience. All right. So thank you listeners for listening and um, every day wake up to more real love. See you next time. Take care. Bye.